All right, we have been in the book of Jonah. We're going to continue our series today, Jonah Engulfed by Grace. We're just kind of walking through this book. It's a really short book, four chapters, um, like 42 verses or something like that. Um, but it's just packed with, um, packed with meaning, packed with the character of God, reveals the heart of man, the, the character of God and his miraculous power and his, most of all, his incredible grace. Uh, so far in the story, in the first two chapters, just to kind of catch everybody up, God calls Jonah, he's the prophet of Israel, he calls Jonah to go and speak his message, the message of God, the prophecy, to the city of Nineveh. Nineveh is this big, huge capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's like one of those superpowers of the day, but they also happen to be kind of like the mortal enemies of Israel. So Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't like Assyrians. He doesn't want to go share this message with them. And so he runs the other way. He runs the other way. He runs to the sea. He wants to get on a boat and go to the farthest ends of the earth. He wants to go to Tarshish, which is in southern Spain. It's like as far as you can get before you get to the Atlantic Ocean and the dragons and fall off the end of the world and all that kind of stuff. So that's how far away he wants to get from where God wants him to go right? And he goes out there, and of course, you know the story. God sends the storm, and he's in the storm. Jonah finds himself in the water. God sends the fish, the whale. Jonah finds himself in the belly of the whale for three days, and there we see that he prays to the Lord, and, he, and we see evidence that he has repented to the Lord, that he turns his heart, and he prays this prayer of thanksgiving for God, caring enough about him to, to give him this chance, and he thanks God for it. And then we find at the end of chapter 2, the whale comes and vomits him on to dry land. What, what an incredible picture that is. Here we are in chapter 3 today. Jonah chapter 3. He has been vomited on the beach. He's laying there on the shore. He's soaked in fish yuck. And he's having a fantastic morning, don't you know? Right? This preacher from Israel, here he is, just coated in whale stomach acid, covered head to toe, smelling pretty funky, I'm imagining. Uh, crawls up out of the surf. Imagine this. He's, this. Here's this man crawling out of the surf, much to the surprise of whatever poor little family just decided to have a day at the beach that day. You know, the little girl's got her pail and making her sandcastles. And, Daddy! You know, here comes this man. He, he hasn't seen the light of day in 72 hours, so I'm sure he's like blinking. You know, here he comes. He comes out of the water. And he realizes, lo and behold, he looks around and realizes he's back where he started. He's right back where he started, right? There's this misconception. We think, you know, the, he was vomited right onto the shores of Nineveh or something like that. But Nineveh is, of course, in modern-day Iraq, so that would have to be some vomit to get him 400 miles <laughs> So, no, he actually vomited there on the shores uh, back, where, back where he started from. The lesson here is you can run from God, but you are not going to get very far. Amen. You're going to end up where you started. You're going to end up where you started. You can resist his purpose uh, he has for your life, and you're going to be spinning your wheels, right? Like a, like a Volkswagen in the sand that smells like fish, right? That, that's that's where, where, where Jonah finds himself. And so, now, and keep in mind in this story, why is all this happening? All this is happening because God desperately loves people, right? That's why this is happening. God loves people. He wants to save people. He wants, and you know what? He wants to use you and I to do that, doesn't he? He wants to use you and I. Like we've been saying all along, we are Jonah. We are Jonah. And that's true in more ways than one because, my friends, God has called us to our city, hasn't he? He has called us to this place. He has called us to take his word to the city to make disciples of the people that he loves so much in our community. It is, that's our purpose. That's our purpose for being here. It's why we're here. We are here to, to help people know God better, 
So they'll trust him more and they'll know his will for their life, right? That is why we're here. We want to help people know him better so they'll so he'll trust him more. So he'll, they'll know God's will for their life. I heard someone put it, I think it was Andy Stanley put it this way. I loved, he said, he said we tell people about Jesus because Jesus makes your life better and he makes you better at life. Isn't that beautiful? I thought, that's awesome. I'm just going to have to steal that and use that for my own. Jesus makes your life better and he makes you better at life. That's why we tell people about Jesus. That's why we carry it out there to to help people know God better so they'll trust him more. They'll know his will for their life. The problem is, let's be honest, the problem is sometimes the the church looks a, a lot more like Jonah in the first chapter than Jonah in the third chapter. Am I right? We, we, don't want to, we don't want to go where God sends us. That's not what we want. We, we don't want to engage with our city, with all of its problems, our community. It's messy out there. We don't want to do that, right? We come to church and we hear all about, it's all about building relationships. We hear about relationships. Yeah, that sounds great. And that God wants to use us to reach out to other people. He wants to use us. But the blunt fact is some of us just don't love our community, some of us just don't want to reach out our comfort zone. We don't want to reach out of our, our friend zone. We got enough friends. We don't want to tell people or, or even invite them to church where we'll tell people, right? Either tell people or invite them here. I'll tell them about Jesus. <laughs> do one of them, right? You got to do one or the other, preferably both, right? We don't want to jump into the mess of real life community. That's just a fact. It's unfortunate, but it's a fact. Because it is messy. Make no mistake. It is messy. We don't want to be inconvenienced. We can spiritualize it all we want. We don't want to be inconvenienced. Right? We don't want to take the risk of maybe being rejected. Maybe. Maybe you just don't like people enough to rescue them from their loneliness and their hopelessness and their pettiness and their desperation. Maybe you just don't like people enough. I'm not talking to all of you, right? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the person beside you, right? But here's the good news. I've got good news. If you're here today and you're kind of, you're like, right, that's sort of, that's sort of me. I got to admit, that's sort of me. I'm not here to judge you. I'm, just, I'm here to tell you some good news. If you're a fan of the kingdom of God, then, then as we're going to read in chapter three, God can do amazing things if you will just obey him. If you'll just obey, even if you're not super feeling it, right? Even if you're not really feeling the passion, if you're not feeling super loving, if you'll just obey, even if we're not perfect, even if we still kind of act like a jerk sometimes, God can still use you. Isn't that great news? He can still use you to do miraculous things. And if his people will just obey, just obey, you don't got to feel it. Just obey, all right? So let's keep that in mind. Let's jump into chapter 3 and see what happens here. Let's see if if Jonah has finally learned his lesson. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. I love that, right? God is the God of second chances. Hallelujah. It's never too late to be what you might have been. Praise God. A second time. God says, go. It's go time, right? I love that word. Go. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to the message, Proclaim to it the message that I give you. And Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Ah, smart guy, right? Smart guy. I think I'll obey God now that I smell like this, right? Awesome. 
Notice, now notice something here. God, in his loving mercy, he saves Jonah. He saves Jonah from himself. That's what we talked about in week one. He saves Jonah. But notice he doesn't deliver Jonah from his original responsibility. Right? I've got a little boy. He's not in here, is he? Mason. So he, <laughs> Mason, he's so sweet. He's wonderful. He's spirited. He's full of passion. And one thing he doesn't like to do is go to bed. And then what's funny is in the morning, he doesn't want to get out of the bed. He doesn't want to get in the bed. He doesn't want to get out of the bed once he's there. But, yeah, but uh, the other day, his, his brother got to spend the night with a friend. And so Mason's very sad because he didn't get to spend the night with a friend. And so he's feel you know, it's like this great injustice in the world, as you can imagine. And he's crying. He's very upset about this. I, I should get, it's not fair. I should get to spend the night with my friend, so I don't want to sleep alone, because they sleep in the same bedroom. Um, and so he's like, I don't want to sleep alone. I should get to sleep with y'all, mommy and daddy. And, you know, we're like, no, we're not going to start that. That's for sure. Uh, you know, no, 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 you need to sleep in your bed. So he's crying. Everything's going on. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not hard-hearted parents, and so we're comforting him. And we, we, we sit him down, and we comfort him. And we dry his tears, calm him down. So he's, you know, the sniffles stop. And then we say, okay, now, it's time. Let's go to bed. And he's like, what? <laughs> what was all this for? <laughs> right? Right? All this thing, and I was crying, and you were covering. I thought that meant I get to go sleep in your bed. And I was like, no, no, no. We still have to do what we originally said, right? You, still, you, know, pitch, you know, when you throw a tantrum, it doesn't mean you get what you want, right? Good parenting skill right there. Um, you know, it doesn't, that doesn't mean you get what you want. It just means you're not mature yet. But, but no, you still have to do what we said. Uh, jo- Jonah here, he, he finishes this whole thing. And God doesn't say, okay, Jonah, you've been through enough. We've learned our lesson. Go home. Take a break. No, he, he's, got his, he's still got his same mission. God gives him the exact same marching orders. So... Jonah has to recognize that in, in, he doesn't get what he deserves. What he deserved was to drown in the sea, right? But he's granted another chance to do what God originally called him to do, and that is a blessing. A second chance to do what God called you to do is a great blessing. Now, it says, now, Nineveh was a very large city. Okay. Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. So that's a, that's a pretty big city for back then. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40, day, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay, can I just say it like it is? That sermon stinks. <laughs> that blows. That's it. 40 more days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. This guy is a piece of work, right? He goes to Nineveh. He says exactly what God tells him to say, and no more. No more, no less. In the Hebrew, it's five words. It's just five words. That's his sermon, right? Some of you think of a five-word sermon. That sounds pretty good about now. I'm sorry it's not going to happen today. But five words. What's interesting is Jonah is known as one of the prophetic books of the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's this group of books that are called the prophetic books because they're full of prophecies and the prophets that go and deliver the word of the Lord, usually to Israel. But the, the prophetic books. Jonah is known as a prophetic book, and that's it. Five words. We get to it in chapter three, and it's over like before the sentence is over. That's, that's the prophecy. And, and you're, you know, it's, it's um, Jonah... The, he doesn't go above and beyond here, does he? He doesn't go above and beyond. As far as prophetic utterances in the Bible, this is pathetic. It's pitiful. 
Some of the other, you know, prophetic utterances are full of like this wonderful grand imagery and poetry that go on for chapters and chapters, right? These blood-curdling images to turn the hearts of man because that's what prophecy was for. It was to affect change, to turn the hearts of man around. He, he walks in, says five words, and leaves. He's not enthusiastic. He's not standing in the city square day after day, pleading and screaming. He doesn't have a band, right? He doesn't have a drama ministry, <laughs> There's like a Hillsong video playing behind him, you know, to get people pumped up. Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing here. He's done nothing. He's a guy that smells vaguely of puke. Walking into the capital of the empire. Basically says, listen up, losers. Hell's hot and it's got a seat with your name on it. Later. <laughs> Boom. Drop the mic. And that's it. That's all you get. There's no, oh, and by the way, Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your... None of that, right? Just God hates you, you're toast, where's my sandwich? That's it. That's Jonah. Now, you know, this is supposed to be Jonah's big moment of obedience now, right? What's interesting, I don't think this is actually technically obedience. What he's doing here is not actually obedience. I think it's a subtle kind of disobedience that actually a lot of us are guilty of. I think what Jonah is doing here, and, and quite masterfully, um, is something we might call the art of learned helplessness. The art of learned helplessness. See if you recognize, this is how learned helplessness works. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I, I remember something I figured out early on. If somebody asked me to do something I didn't want to do, there's a great way of getting out of it without like, you know, screaming and crying and arguing. You get into trouble that way and stuff like that. So what you do is you say, yes. Absolutely, I'd love to do that for you. I would love to sweep the floor. You want me to do laundry? Yes, I will do the laundry. As I did when we were first married. I remember Mel and I, we first got married many years ago. We were in our first little apartment, and one time, it was the last time. <laughs> I'll help with the laundry, Every, right? Everything can go together. It'll make them cleaner, right? So you put all the colors, all the whites, you put it together, and they all come out this wonderful shade of salmon. Um, yeah, and you never have to do it again. You never have to do it again, right? You do this really lame job at it, and they realize it's just easier if I do it myself. I'm never going to ask this person to do that again. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. Y'all have never done that. That's, that's just me. But I think that's kind of what Jonah is doing here. Jonah is technically obeying God, but as we're going to see next week in chapter 4, he's still got serious issues with this whole plan. Serious issues. And so he's obeying the letter of the law, which is kind of like a real Pharisee thing to do, right? That's why Jesus got upset with the Pharisees all the time. Obeying the letter of the law, he's, being, he's the technical will of God, while sort of saying to God, you know what, I'm going to prove that your idea was really dumb to begin with. I'm going to deliver the worst executed outreach in the history of preaching on earth, and I'm going to sit back and watch as nothing happens. And what happens the city explodes with revival. In verse 5, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth! Right? That's, that's hardcore. If those of you who don't know who sackcloth is, sackcloth is this thing they used to do in the, in the day, back in the day when you were repenting. Um, if you haven't tried it, it takes the repenting to a whole new level. If you try the sackcloth... 
It's basically a coat of goat hair they would take, and they would turn it inside out because that would be really irritating and scratchy and painful. So, you, you know, it's, it's irritating on the skin. It's very uncomfortable, and it's sort of like crucifying the flesh. And so they'd wear this as this display of the sincerity of their repentance, putting on sackcloth. It was actually a common practice in the ancient world. You, you did this when you wanted your deity to know that you really meant it. You, you made yourself suffer. And so what it says is everybody in this city, from the poorest to the elites of the city, are going around wearing sackcloth. They're going without food. They're going without water. And they're repenting to God. After a terrible five-word sermon. You know what that tells me? That our faith should never rest on the messenger. Our faith doesn't have to rest on the messenger. Your faith doesn't have to rest, shouldn't rest on how clever or dynamic a sermon is or how great the presentation was. However bad a sermon that I preach, and I know I've preached some clunkers out there, right? And I'm just getting started. But, but <laughs> let me tell you, the life-changing power of a message rests on one thing. One thing. Is it a word from God? Amen. That's the life-changing power of a message. Is it a word from God. That's what determines the true worth of a message. Are we just giving people sort of a self-help pep talk to make them feel better? Or are we speaking the word of God into their lives? That's, the, that's the, the burden that we carry. That's what we have to do. That is the only thing, by the way, that'll break the bonds of darkness and lead people into freedom, is speaking the word of God into their life. Amen. Not great advice, right? Not clever rhymes or anything like that. It's speaking the word of God. So, when God's word is spoken, it, it breaks the power of sin. And when God's word is spoken to us, his righteousness is revealed to us. It's like a light shines into the darkest places in our body, right? And, and we are, we're laid bare. Our sin is exposed. It's made known to us. And we can't, there's no shortcuts to get there. There's no shortcuts. We want the joy of salvation, but the first step to the joy of salvation is the heartbreak of repentance, that's how we get to the joy of salvation, the heartbreak of repentance. God shines his light in our lives, and we are forced to admit that God is God and we are not. Amen. And we are stripped of our self-righteousness in that moment. It's not always a fun moment, but we're stripped of our self-righteousness. Jonah's problem is he is gripped with self-righteousness, I believe. He, Jonah believes he's a good man because he was born into the right country. He was born the right race. He was born the right religion. So he believes he's a good man. And he's so gripped with this inability to, to let God's compassion and grace flow through him to others that ultimately, you know, I think Jonah's kind of one of these people who don't really believe that God really needs that much grace for them. Right? You know what I'm talking about? There can be this idea, God really didn't have to try that hard to save me. I'm a pretty good person. That's a trap a lot of us can get into, especially if you're like raised in the church and, you know, you feel like you were kind of born saved. You know what I mean? God didn't have to do much to save me. We could say it like this. If you never own up to the sinner that you were, you'll never be able to embrace the sinner God calls you to love. Amen. If you don't own up to the sinner that you were, you'll never be able to embrace the sinner God has called you to love, to have compassion for we have to own up to that. It's only by understanding how much God loves you and why he loves you, right? He doesn't love us because we're awesome. He doesn't, right? It's only by understanding that God loves you unconditionally and undeservedly. 
that we can love other people the same way. And that's the goal, to love other people the same way. So here we are, the streets of Nineveh, they're filled with people just repenting. People are falling down, crying. You can just imagine what is happening in this city. People crying out to God in repentance. But it gets even better in verse 6. It says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, now this is cool, this means that Jonah's terrible five-word sermon, the king hasn't even heard it himself, he's just hearing it hearsay, right? It's spreading like wildfire. The king hears it secondhand, here's how he responds. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. He said, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. This king's going hardcore here. The king, full tilt, even the animals are repenting in Nineveh, right? (laughs) By the way, nowhere else in all of scripture is there recorded history of of animals fasting, animals being included on on the fast here. He says they can't even taste anything, right? I don't know how you keep a cow from licking the grass, but somehow they're, they're, they're going to try. In verse 8, he says, But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. That has to be a little awkward for the goats, wouldn't you think? <laughs> what is this? Oh, come on. That's humiliating, right? That's where my brain goes. He says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? I love that. Who knows? Maybe God will relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Wow, what a moment. What a moment in history. Notice what the writer is doing here. It's so beautiful. He's intentionally pointing out the most absurd extremes going on in this story. You have the worst sermon ever preached. It couldn't have been delivered with less passion or less effort. Results in one of the greatest revivals in the history of the world. In the heart of this pagan empire, right? Over 120,000 people, we think, turned from their wickedness in a matter of days and worshiped the one true God, Jehovah. That's Amazing. How, how does that happen? How does this happen? How does five words spoken by a bitter, smelly preacher deliver salvation to a whole city? I'll tell you how it happens. Because they're God's words. That's how it happens. They're God's words. They're not our clever words. They're not our clever slideshow or PowerPoints or light show or whatever it is. It's God's words. There's nothing more powerful than God's words. God's words. These are the words which created the heavens and the earth. God's words. These are the words that someday are going to split the sky when Jesus returns. God's words have power. And and God's laws work differently than our laws. And see, God's whole plan, it works differently than Jonah thinks it ought to work. His his laws work differently. His plans work differently. Because God is serious about saving people. I want you to get that. God is serious about saving people. He's he's more serious than we are. See, God's not only been pursuing Jonah this whole time, but he has has even bigger fish to fry. Pardon the pun. He he has been patiently, patiently pursuing the Ninevites this whole story, right? And one word, well, five words from God, that's all it took for this great and terrible city to literally be brought to its knees. That's all it took. 
Now, now let's get real. Come on, you and I, let's get real. How many times has God wanted to do something miraculous in the lives of your coworkers, or miraculous in the lives of your neighbor, of your neighbors? And all he needs for you to be is his mouthpiece. He just needs you to be his hands and feet. That's all he needs. And we have to remember, you don't have to walk next door and, and deliver the greatest sermon ever to preach, you know, to, to, to win the hearts of your neighbors, but you may have to walk next door. You might have to say a word or two Amen. to let them know that God loves them, that he cares about them, to let them know you're willing to pray with them if there's anything that they'll let you pray with them about. And then, you, and then here's the cool part, you get to... You get to stand back and let God do what he does best, which is move on their heart, right? That's God's job. The Holy Spirit moves on their heart. He just needs somebody to obey. He just needs somebody to obey. See, we are Jonah. Some of us, I understand, and believe me, I understand what, what I'm saying here in this next point. Some of us feel like we, we kind of like we already live in the promised land. Maybe all your friends are Christians. You know, you come to church. Wherever, you know, it seems like everybody's a Christian. All your circles are Christian. Jonah knows how that feels, believe me. It's why he didn't want to go next door to Assyria. It's messy over there. And if that's you, see, you have to make an extra effort. If you're not around people who, are, who, who believe already, then you have to make an extra effort to go find the lost and the hurting which is what Christ told us to do anyway, right? You have to make that extra effort to go find the lost and the hurting. Although, I'll tell you this, I suspect that the lost and hurting are a lot closer than we think if we'll open our eyes. The lost and the hurting are all around us. The lost and the hurting are right here in this room today. God calls us to make disciples. Listen, if all the people that you know are already church-going Christians, that's not an excuse. That's an indictment. I'll say that again. If all the people you know are already church-going Christians and you don't know anybody else, that's not an excuse. That's an indictment. Something's wrong. Okay? It means somewhere along the way, I I have lost track of my purpose on this planet, if that's the case. If I don't know any unbelievers, I've lost my way somewhere. I've lost track of my purpose. I'm not judging you, but I'm just saying, church, we got to open our eyes. We got to get back on mission. Can anybody give me an amen? Amen. Open our eyes. We've got to get back on mission. Okay. So, the king of Nineveh, all the people in this infinitely, infamously uh, wicked city, they all repent, and they turn their hearts to God, and here comes another wave of God's incredible grace. Uh, here it comes in, in verse 10. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Isn't that beautiful? This is the power of repentance. This is the power of repentance. And here's the good news. If God has the power to change an entire city through one rogue, half-hearted prophet, then God can do anything through any of us here today. He can. He can do amazing things through you and me. If he can do this through Jonah, he can do amazing things through us today. This is good news. This isn't bad news. This is good news. 
In fact, as we see in this story, sometimes your failures are like the leverage point that God can use to really affect change, right? He can even move more miraculously. What does it say in, in a 2 Corinthians? It says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. See, he can, he can work with your weakness. He can work with your failures. His power is made perfect in that. Now, there's one more aspect of this story that I, w- I want to make sure we notice here in this chapter. The writer says, uh, if you remember back, he says, God relented and did not bring on them the destruction he threatened them with. Now, there's all sorts of really fascinating things happening in this verse. We don't have time to get into them. No, we'll, we'll, go, we'll touch on a couple of them in our deeper class on Wednesday night. But I, I want to I wanna ask you something. Did this mass act of repentance take God by surprise? You don't think it took him by surprise? Did, did God know exactly what he was doing all along? Yeah, I agree. God knew exactly what he was doing. So the language here says that what God relented, but understand, it didn't take him by surprise at all. Why would he move heaven and earth and send storms to the Mediterranean Sea and fish to swallow Jonah? And Why would he save Jonah from himself and bother to try so hard to send his prophet to some other land? That's not, he's not even in covenant with this other land. Why would he do all of this, go to all this work, just to send this prophet to a land he's going to wipe out in a month or so anyway? Why go to all that trouble if it's not to give the Ninevites the gift of the chance of repentance? Right? To experience the joy and deliverance that comes from God's mercy. Of course God foresaw what was going to happen here. This, this whole story is setting up the incredible revival opportunity in Nineveh. He's been, God's been coming after them from the start so that they too would experience being engulfed by grace. God's coming after them from the start. But see, God had to give them the opportunity, didn't he? He gave them the opportunity. So I just want us to be careful. Don't read this this chapter and think this is the picture of, you know, some grumpy God who didn't really want to give in to the Ninevites, but he sort of gave in because he's like, well, they did wear all that scratchy fur, so I guess I really didn't want to do this, but no, 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 this is a God who's been setting them up for salvation from the start. He has set them up for salvation, right? And in fact, as we see even more plainly in the next chapter, the, the writer does a brilliant job of contrasting God's generous, this lavish grace of his, contrasting that with Jonah's stingy nature. Um, I, I want to I finish today with a, with a thought and with a challenge, okay? In, in Psalms 145, it says that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and he's rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. I want to talk about this, this, this theme of compassion. God's character expresses itself just most perfectly in his compassion. It's a generous giving of himself. It's what he does. We've talked about this before. It's, it's just what he does, right? The Bible says that God is love, but love does something. What love does is generous compassion. And that is what God does. He makes it clear also to you and I that we are to be the ambassadors of this compassion, the ambassadors of God's love. 
which means we're to communicate his message to other people so they can make the choice. In, in Micah, he says a beautiful thing. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Colossians, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. But see, to have this kind of compassion, we got to own up. If, if you never own up to the sinner that you were, you'll never be able to embrace the sinner that God has called you to have compassion for. Amen. Now, there's two kinds of compassion that I can see. There's two kinds of compassion. One, let's say, <clears throat> the first kind, let's say we're both finishing up here today, and you and I are walking out these doors together. We're just walking along beside each other. We open the door. Where are you going to go to lunch? I don't know. Where are you going to go? And you trip. Let's say you trip and you fall down, and I rush over. Oh, are you okay? And I try to grab you, and I, I try to help you up, care for you. Okay, that right there is impulsive, spontaneous compassion. Impulsive, spontaneous compassion. Most of us in here who are human beings, we do not struggle with that kind of compassion, right? Impulsive, spontaneous compassion. We're good with that, right? Someone shows up at your door bleeding, you're going to help them, call the ambulance, you'll take care of people. I mean, that impulsive, spontaneous compassion. There's a second type of compassion, though, <clears throat> which we could think of as a compassionate commitment to the character of God. It's a compassionate commitment to the character of God. And there's no way that just impulsive, spontaneous compassion would, would have helped Jonah in going to Nineveh. You've got to have more than that. It, that's not enough. It wouldn't be enough to get Jonah to Nineveh. Jonah, he has to make the commitment, the, the choice to the character of God in his life, the choice to the character of God, that kind of compassion. It's that, it's that kind of compassion that... <coughs> Since Pastor Albert and Monica to, to Africa, they just got back a week or two ago. It's that kind of compassion that's going to send them to India in just a couple of weeks, right? That's not spontaneous compassion. That's the choice to live out the character of God, that compassionate character of God. And here's the thing. No matter where we're at, because we're all at different places emotionally, um, you know, there, there's nobody here who completely emotionally, holistically has it all together. You know, I understand that. Uh, but God calls us all the same. He calls us to be committed to his character throughout whatever we're going through, however we're feeling, whatever it is we're still wrestling with, whatever ways we're still growing. He calls us to display his character of compassion. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. That means if he calls us, then he expects us to be able to do it because he's going to work within us. God is going to work in us wherever we're at. So God works in you. He doesn't wait for you to be perfect. That's good news. Amen. We might be walking to Nineveh kind of begrudgingly. Ah, I don't want to be here. Right? But praise God. He will have his day. He will reach their hearts if we will be obedient. Even if you're kind of struggling a little bit. If, even if you feel like your heart's not a totally 100% in it every single day. God can still use you. Right? What does he require? He told us to act justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with your God. That's obedience. He requires obedience. And, and the more we obey God, here's the really cool thing. The more you obey God, 
the more his love for other people will manifest itself inside you, right? You kind of heard the term fake it till you make it, right? The more you, C.S. Lewis said it too. He said, the more we act like we love others, presently we will find that it is true. The more we do it. So, so that's very encouraging to me. Now, we're coming towards the end here. I, w- I want to give you a challenge this morning. How many of you have a bulletin? How many of you grabbed a bulletin when you walked in? Inside your bulletin are two little bookmarks. Do you see that? Everybody, everybody take those out. See if you've got two little bookmarks. That's for you, and if you're here with a spouse or you're here with somebody, you each can have one. If, if you're here by yourself and you don't need both of them, pass them down the road to somebody who maybe needs an extra one. There's two little bookmarks there. Now, a few weeks ago, our precious brother from Nigeria, Monig Benosa, he was here. And he shared a wonderful story of when someone asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? And Jesus answered him, it's the one who showed compassion. One who showed mercy. That's, that's our neighbor. We're coming up on an incredible opportunity to live this out, to show some compassion, to, to reach out to our Nineveh. And, and that opportunity is called Easter, right? In three weeks. We're just three weeks away from Easter, the resurrection. This is it. This is the ultimate celebration. This is what makes it all, this is why we're here, because the resurrection happened. So I want to ask you to to do something for me. Right now, if you have a pen, right now, if you don't have a pen, then do it as soon as you leave, but don't like sit around and pray about this, and then you 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 throw it in the drawer. Don't do all that. You don't need to pray about this. You know who these people are. I want you to think of three names. I want you to think of three people who don't go to church, who you know these people, that's somebody, I, I bet you they need Jesus because Jesus would make their life better and he'd make them better at life. Three people, if you can do that. Who is my neighbor? Now, some of these people, you might be somebody who you have a circle. And in your circle are unbelievers that you, you know, you're, kinda, you're, you're trying to influence them. That's awesome. Some of them might be people that you don't know very well, Right? How many of you have a mailbox buddy? You know, if you live in a neighborhood, you know, you have like a common mailbox and you see your, you know, your friend down there every time, every day, you're like, hey, Dave, Bob, Sally, how's it going? Grass is looking great, right? You get your mail together and then you leave and that's it, okay? You got a mailbox buddy. Maybe some of you got somebody at work and you're, you see this person all the time. You might even know who their, what their name is, right? But you know, there's a, I see them all the time and they're always, oh, man, you know, I could tell... They're, they're struggling. They, they need hope in their life, right? So maybe that, that's a person, or maybe it's somebody, it's the checkout girl at the grocery store that you see every time, you know, and you all always say, hey, or something like that. Or maybe it's, you know, one of the moms at school, whenever you're picking up the kids, you always see her, you know, and, or, you know, or so, somebody. We all have somebody. I want you to think of three human beings that God loves and write them on that card of yours. You get to keep this. Write them on that card. And then, I want, us to th- I want you to think of this in terms of three stages, okay? The first thing I want you to do, when you write, their, you write their names on that card, the first thing I want you to do this week 
is just pray for them. Commit to praying for every person on that card every day. Pray for God to give you opportunities to talk to them. For God to open doors for maybe you to do something to kind of bless them. Right? Pray for God to do that. Pray for God to show himself big in their life. Pray for them. There is nothing more powerful than prayer. Commit. Now, if you're here today, you've already got a long list of your neighbors and friends you're praying for. Praise God. More power to you. But, but if you're today and this is like, oh, I should do something like this. This is a great opportunity. This is perfect. Right? We're going to start small. Three people, pray for them this week. Then here's what we're going to do. Next week, we're going to talk to them. It's okay. We're grown-ups. You can do this. We're going to talk to them. Right? Now, unless you're Jesus, you probably won't go up to somebody you don't know very well and say, leave what you're doing and come be fishers of men with me. Right? You probably won't say that. Right? You probably won't walk up and say, hell has a place with your name on it unless you receive Jesus today. You probably won't want to do that. That's probably not how you enter into a relationship. So you're going to talk to them, right? You're just going to ask them, how are you doing? How's your day going? Right? If you know them better, how's your kids? How's that thing going? How do you get your grass to look so amazing? Right? You're going to talk to them. And then as you develop trust with them, ask them, is there anything I can pray with you about? Is there anything I pray? Because I believe in prayer. And I've been praying for a lot of stuff in my life. I need God in my life bad. So I'm going to be praying. Is there anything I pray with you about? Or, or pray to him about for you? You know, just let me know. It's an easy thing to do. Just talk to them. And then, what you're going to do then, step three, you're going to invite them to church. All right? You're going to invite them to church. Because here, what are they going to do? They're going to experience the love of Jesus. They're going to experience sitting around a whole bunch of other people who are just as imperfect as they are, and everybody seems to love Jesus, right? And nobody's uptight, nobody's judgmental here, and everybody just seems to like be really excited about this Jesus thing, and they're going to experience something, right? And on Easter Sunday, there's a very good possibility their life could change, okay? If you bring them, if you bring them, it's three things. Pray for them, talk to them, invite them. Pray for them, talk to them, invite them. It's not very hard, but you just have to make that commitment, right? We have to be disciples who make disciples. Everybody makes disciples this year, okay? No more letting other people make all the disciples. We're just not going to do that anymore, okay? That's called being a spiritual freeloader, okay? We're all making disciples this year. Bring them. Bring them here. We'll tell them about Jesus, okay? And we'll love on them. If you're here today and you're in a pretty good place with the Lord, hallelujah, that is awesome. I'm so happy. Take it to the next step. Don't let life be just you and God. Take it to the next step. Tell somebody about his love for them, okay? Because everybody makes disciples in the kingdom of God. Everyone makes disciples. And no one walks alone. That's the charge that God gave us. He didn't give this to us and say, you know, if y'all feel like it, try this. He kind of commanded me. So this is that we're called to this mission, okay? We're called to this. Now, look, if you're here today and you would say, Scott, I'm really not in a great place with God. I I can't really tell people about God because I'm not in a good place with God. In fact, I feel kind of far from God. I would say rejoice because your day of healing has come. 
Your day of healing is today. Okay? God is passionately interested in pursuing you and drawing you back to him. He will move heaven and earth for you to come back to him. He will even sacrifice your own comfort sometimes. But even that is an act of love. He wants you so much. So even when it feels like everything's falling apart, his desire is never for your destruction. It is always for your good. And he will take care of you. He'll take care of you in your circumstances, but rest assured that what he wants most is for you to grow closer in a relationship with him. That's what he wants the most. Because the better you get to know God, the more you can trust him and the more clear your purpose in life, his will for you, the more clear it becomes, the better you get to know God. It's a beautiful thing. This morning, I'm going to ask us all to bow our heads if we would. And if you're here today and you feel far from God, nobody's looking around. I would invite you to just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not setting you up. I'm not even going to ask you to come down front. I'm just going to pray for you right where you are. But if, if that's you today, you feel like, man, I am. I'm not where I need to be with God. I want to be closer. I want to experience that grace and that mercy. I need forgiveness. I, I, I need to repent. Just slip your hand up just so I'll know you're here. I'm going to pray for you. As I'm praying, you can silently pray. You can pray out loud, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, we love you so much. You are so great. You are so mighty. You are so patient. But we cannot even fathom the extent of your grace, how much you love us. I thank you, Father, for each and every person in this room today, Father God. I thank you, Lord. You see the people who raised their hands to you today, just now. I thank you, Lord God. You love them more than anything on this planet. And I thank you, Lord God, that as they make this decision to walk closer to you, to give up their agenda, to give up control of those things that we desperately want to have control of, to just hand over control to you, Lord God. I thank you that you gladly pick up those reins and start leading us in our life, Father. I thank you, Lord God, that you will show yourself big to them this week, Father. I thank you that every single day will be like a brand new day where they learn something much, even even new, even more wonderful than they learned before, Father God, about you, that they learn how much you love them, how much you care about them. I thank you, Father God, for forgiving us of our sins. We repent before you in Jesus' name. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Thank you, Father God, for that forgiveness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that's new every single morning. Every morning. You never run out of it. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We'll ask our prayer partners to come forward, please. And uh, I want to I invite you, if you're here today and, and you raised your hand and you prayed that with, you were praying with me, I want to invite you, if you would, 
uh, when everybody is coming down here to ask for prayer, we have our prayer partners, they'll pray with you about anything you have. But I invite you who prayed for that, that first time to come forward and just let one of these guys know, hey, I prayed that prayer today. I really, I need God to do something new in my life. I'm ready to come back to God just so they can agree with you as well. All right? All right. You're going to take this challenge seriously? Okay. This week, what are we doing this week for these people? Pray. Pray it. All right? Put those names down. Don't put it in the drawer. Don't you do it. It's the size of a bookmark. Put it in your Bible, your purse, wherever. Put it in your wallet, wherever makes it easy. But pray for those people because they, they deserve to hear about God. Right? God loves them. Okay? God loves you also. Thank you guys so much. Y'all have a wonderful week. And we will see you Wednesday night. And then we'll see you Friday night uh, for Bob Smiley. It's going to be a lot of fun. Bye, guys.